0: Welcome to Legacy Fundraising Chat, where we talk about everything legacy related to help you as a fundraiser generate more interest amongst your supporters in legacy giving. I'm your host, Sunita Godu, founder of Persuasion and legacy marketer, providing consultancy, training, coaching and interim legacy support to small to medium sized charities. I'm delighted that the National Free Wills Network is sponsoring my podcast. They allow you to offer your supporters a free solicitor written will anywhere in the UK and the charity receives full measurable results. With 15 years of experience and over £500 raised in future income for charities, the network can help charities of all shapes and sizes launch and maximise their legacy programmes. To find out more, visit nationalfreewills.net. Hello listener. Did you know that if you have any topics you'd like me to discuss on the show that you can just reach out to me or if you just want to share any thoughts I'm always happy to hear from you and you can email me at sunita at persuasion.org.uk and if you're a fan of this podcast I think you'd be interested in my monthly e-newsletter. My monthly e-newsletter is packed with more legacy fundraising tips highlights and podcast episodes, and ideas on how you can learn more from the wider legacy community. Now signing up to my newsletter is super easy and it's completely free. There's a link in the show notes or just visit my website persuasion.org.uk, go to the contact page, enter your email address and you'll start receiving my monthly e-newsletter right in your inbox. I promise not to spam you it will just be one email a month that's it for my e-newsletter plug now let's jump into today's episode so welcome to episode 45 where I interview Rosalind Sherlock Jones who holds a role at WaterAid managing the legacy estate administration as some organizations may refer to it. I was really keen to get Rosalyn on the show if you're new to legacies or you've not got a bank of legacy case studies I wanted to show you how building relationships with executors is fundamental in this space here's my interview with Rosalyn
1: hello Rosalyn welcome to the show hi Sunita Really, really pleased that you asked me to be on your podcast. Oh, it's absolutely lovely to have you. So, first of
0: all, Rosalyn,
1: how did you
0: find yourself working in a legacy estate management role?
1: And how long have you been working in this area? Good question. So, I started off small. It was just part of my um, job role. I worked in supporter care, and so legacies was just uh, one part of what I did because it was a smaller charity. I worked nice. at Anthony Nolan, and then I really loved the whole aspect of legacies and, you know, how they came in and and mm. what we did and you know how they supported the charity. So. I decided that I would do a little bit more training mm-hmm. which I did and I did a course with the ILM and I and I also um, attended some of their training sessions that they had and then from there I kind of suppose I specialised in legacies and I got my next job and I moved charity um, so then I worked at Great Ormond Street Hospital Children's Charity and Mm -hmm. I started there and then I stayed there and I did two roles there then just recently I've moved to WaterAid and now Mm -hmm. I'm a senior legacy management officer you know over my whole like legacy journey Mm -hmm. um, it's probably towards 11 years now. Oh wow Mm -hmm. so you're one of the veterans.
0: (laughs) I suppose you could
1: say that Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I would you say
0: that you really liked the idea of the estate management
1: side of it? What kind of pulled you towards that? I think it was just really interesting, and just and just. Hearing the the stories of why people would support charity, and then you know going on to make that decision to actually leave a gift in their will, um, you do get to find out a lot about the supporters. Um, just you know, if their families send in information, sometimes you would have spoken to the supporter before mm-hmm. um, you receive the gift. Um, not always, but that there's just so many different aspects to why people want to support the charity Mm -hmm. and then it's such a at a time that's so difficult for the family Mm -hmm. um it can be something that you know to find out a little bit more about the person's interests and Mm -hmm. what they supported Mm -hmm. in their life and then go on to support in the future with a legacy Mm -hmm. and I just like the process and each case is so different Mm -hmm. but the process um of how you you know you go from um finding out about the legacy and then to receiving it is is the same for each case Mm -hmm. um but each each supporter is so different and you know varied um the people that you deal with
0: in mm-hmm. in this
1: profession so yeah i really enjoy it i just think it's something that suits me and and yeah i i really enjoy supporting our executors um mm-hmm. through the process there's so much there i want to unpack
0: and we definitely will do in this episode and i imagine my listeners got lots of questions as well Firstly, could you talk us through the day in the life of Rosalyn as a legacy estate management? What does that actually involve?
1: What's a, what's a typical day like for you when you're looking at a particular file? So um, we we start off with a notification mm-hmm. Um Often that will come through from SME and Ford, Mm -hmm. um, which is a company that um, scans the wills Mm -hmm. each week. And if a charity is named in a supporter's will, then they notify the charity. And um, we use a database, a bespoke database called First Class. So we would have the case set up within there. Um, We'd start off with a notification. We would expect to hear from the executor and then if a period of time has passed and we haven't heard anything we just write out to the details that that are on the notification Mm. and provide our our contact details and you know say we're available um, to assist Mm. um, and also talk about maybe if they've not had a charity beneficiary before these are the kind of, um, through our experience, these are the areas that, um, you know, we, we point out that maybe we probably have a copy of the will on file, but there's certain valuations that we need and there's like um, exemptions that uh, charities have. So we, we just kind of point them in the right direction and give our contact details so mm-hmm. that then they can send their their side of things directly to our team. Because sometimes mm-hmm. you find on the will, Sometimes the information can be um, a little out of date, um, like if the office has moved dress or or something like that. So it's good to make contact with the executor if they Mm. haven't contacted us first. Mm. Um, And then depending on where we are within the administration, the executor is normally providing us with updates and asking us questions regarding maybe various assets within the estate. And checking our details for payment and then just, yeah, just generally keeping us informed um, through the administration and then to finalise with the payment of the legacy. Um, And then, of course, we would acknowledge that payment and close our file. If there's nothing else for us to, to check, then we're happy to close our
0: file. I mean, you make it sound quite straightforward. But as we know for anyone that's worked in the sector a while, that this process can span over years, can't it? It's not just uh, as I've tried to kind of direct in terms of give us a day in the life of Rosalind. I think it's fair to say that
1: it's a very long process, would you say, Rosalind? Yeah. You know, it depends on the type of gift mm. as to how long you would um, save from the time that somebody's passed away to when you would receive it. So mm. um, each of the cases that I'll be working on will be at a different stage in the mm-hmm. process. So would have some cases that we've just been notified about. And then we'll have some cases that they'll be asking for our bank details so that they can make the transfer mm. um, of the gift and anything in between. Right at the beginning, the um, executor will make an assessment of the assets and and also the liabilities. And they will have to fill in forms um, that they will send to the court um, Mm. to apply for probate. And um, there's also other aspects to consider, like um, inheritance tax Mm. and capital gains. You start off assessing what the estate has in terms of assets and liabilities Mm. and then you go from there because it's Mm. a a process that you're guided Mm. through Um, there's loads of information Mm. on the government websites to to assist an executor Mm.
0: And what I'm actually hearing from your approach is that you're really helpful to the executor. You've mentioned about giving the executor's advice on how to administer the charity aspect, the charitable gift within the estate. And that's really lovely to hear, actually, because... I think that sometimes there could be a misconception that really, obviously, charities want the money in as quickly as possible, but it's really nice to know that you're looking at it also from the executor perspective. And you have mentioned executors that are solicitors. And as we know, there's other executors that we refer to as lay executors. Can you tell us the types of people that you come across as lay executors?
1: In the sector, generally, um, non-solicitors, non-professionals, say maybe a family member Mm. or um, a friend that's been appointed as an executor would be referred to as a lay executor. But WaterAid, we we understand that that's a a special role and we we kind Mm. of like to call them personal, the personal Mm. executor. right? And we understand that often the reason why this person has been asked to be the executor is maybe the the person that's asked them to be their executor of their will has thought well this person is is going to be able to carry out this duty Um, and it could be that maybe they've had um, in a previous role or a current role you know maybe they have um, worked in a position where their skills from from their working life would translate quite well into being an executor. Mm -hmm. So sometimes maybe they're a retired accountant or even a solicitor or, Mm -hmm. you know, in that role, Mm -hmm. or maybe they're just somebody that they think well, they'll be organized. They'll be right. a good person <laughs> to <laughs> to uh, make sure that my wish- wishes are carried out. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you're carrying out that role for a loved one, mm. it, it can be, you know, it, it can be time consuming. Obviously, it's a time, you know, when you're going through bereavement. So mm-hmm. anything that we can do to make it easier, we explain the kind of paperwork that that we would like. I mean, it's normally copies of things that they would already have. And we would offer to be lead charity and explain that other charity beneficiaries are probably going to need the same type of paperwork. So we'd be happy to share that with our other co-beneficiaries. We're really grateful that they would take on this role. And yeah, we've got a lot of expertise and we just... Yeah, we'd offer to support them in any way that we can. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in the team that I work with now in WaterAid, one of our team members is a solicitor. So it's nice for them to have that confidence that we know what, we, what we're what we doing and we've done it previously and, and we can foresee any pitfalls or advise them to maybe with assets to make sure they get a few valuations, um, things like that.
0: That's great, Rosalyn. And personal executor, I'm definitely taking that one. It sounds so much better than lay executor, doesn't it? So I'll be Mm -hmm. dropping that for sure from now Mm -hmm. on. In your experience, what percentage of estates have a lay executor, sorry, personal executor versus
1: a solicitor in place? It's so variable. In the charity that I work at now, we're looking just at the residuary cases I would say it was it was probably about a third, but you can also have it where you know there's more than one executor. So you might have a family member as an executor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you also have a solicitor as the executor as well. Right. Where maybe you're talking about the personal executor being the sole executor and them doing you know everything mm-hmm. um, to administer the estate. I mean, that's probably a smaller percentage but it really does vary. A, a lot of executors are personal executors that are involved in the administration, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily the ones carrying out all the, mm-hmm. all the day-to-day work.
0: Thank you, Roslyn, for attempting to answer that question. It was a difficult question, and I only ask difficult questions on the show, <laughs> as, as you'll find in this interview. But it's really <laughs> helpful, actually, even to have that insight for a listener, for sure. And just thinking about those personal executors and those estates, are they likely to be of a much more lower value than if a solicitor is appointed because the deceased hasn't put that in place knowing that actually they do not need a solicitor firm in
1: order to administer a smaller estate? I mean, that could be one reason why they ask somebody to do it. But I would say overall people often ask um, somebody to be their executor because they trust them Mm. and it isn't necessarily the smaller estates only you can get very large estates that are are kind of administered by a personal executor because as I say the reason that they've um, decided to ask that that person is because they they think they're going to be able to Mm. to carry out that role Mm. and sometimes they are thinking well there won't be the solicitor's fees involved or, you know, like they won't have to pay a fee to right. that person. So there are many considerations. So no, not necessarily.
0: Okay, that's good to know. So you've already touched on the fact that personal executors are naturally going to be bereaving and having this huge responsibility of administering this estate. And what does that mean in terms of, how you communicate with them in terms of timeframes of when you want information back? Are you likely to give them a longer time frame to respond to you? Or do you just treat actually all estates the, the same and just let them know
1: of their responsibilities back is something that we definitely take into account in a personal capacity I've been through bereavement and had to go through this process mm. in a professional capacity mm. um, I've taken training and mm. just through experience you, you definitely would would be something that you'd be aware of mm. um, and of course you would want to make contact with them so that they know that you're here to support them and anything that you can do to make the whole process easier way for them, as I say, offering to be a lead charity or as if, as I say, we're notified and we have a copy of the will on file, we don't need to ask them for a copy of the will if we've already got it. You know, uh, so yeah. it, it's just preempting those areas where it is going to be difficult. And and if we do, if there is um, something that we need a copy of, we explain why that we need it. And often, as soon as we explain why, that they're, they're more than happy because they understand that charities are audited and we need to have records and they're, and they're happy. And it, it kind of gives them reassurance because if you're handling kind of a large sum of money you just want to know that you're doing it in the right way mm. that you're going to receive a receipt you're going to receive something that discharges you of your duty and that you can know that you fulfilled your role and you've carried out the wishes of of your loved one so mm. yes we definitely I mean that's probably the foundation of, a, of the way we work and yeah that that's really important I think that's a really important thing really important part of my job.
0: How often would you say personal executors are interested in the charity? I guess what are the things that they're saying to you that Mm -hmm. kind of reinforce that that they need to know a little bit more? Are there some kind of that you look out
1: for? These estates can often last for quite a long time Mm. so you are building up relationship you are chatting on the phone you are exchanging emails Mm -hmm. and over time maybe they they might ask a bit about the charity or they Depending on the cause of the charity, say, um, for example, when I worked at Great Ormond Street Hospital Children's Charity, often the reason why um, we were being left the gift in somebody's will was a very personal reason. And Mm -hmm. so therefore that person had maybe spoken to their family about that and you're just building on. Mm. information that they already have mm. um because it could be that the actual legator was treated at the hospital many years ago and the hospital might have carried out a life-saving operation mm. or maybe it was their grandchild that was treated at the mm. hospital so therefore you could be speaking to the parents of that grandchild you know they're probably very warm to the charity warm to the cause are interested you know, maybe there, there's some advertising or, or um, you know, a campaign that, that they want to find out more about. But that would come up within the aspect of our interaction with them. Right. If it isn't something that that's personal to them, then I'd say maybe that that opportunity isn't as natural. Right. And our focus is definitely on the legator and making sure their wishes are carried out we definitely always want the person that we're, we're interacting with to have a positive experience of the charity. If then they go on to think of leaving a gift in the future, they can take that experience with them. And even if it's not our charity, mm. they've just got a good impression of charities. Mm. So that's that's kind of, yeah, it, ha- it has to come up naturally because, you sure. know, yeah, it's not really a time for the kind of... Uh, It's not the time for legacy marketing, is it? That's the thing, when uh,
0: you haven't got those cues. Thank you, listener. That's the end of part one. Do tune in in a fortnight's time for the conclusion in part two, episode 46. Thank you so much for listening to Legacy Fundraising Chat, brought to you by Persuasion, a consultancy training and coaching organisation helping fundraisers just like you. Thank you also for everything that you do for your cause in the charity sector, making it an inspiring place to work. I'm your host, Sunita Godu, championing your legacy fundraising efforts.